Every once in a while, as I'm looking through um, uh, my favorite app, the USA Today, <coughs> and reading the news, which I just habitually do in the morning, uh, there's a little article, usually in pictures, uh, titled Life Hacks. And if anybody has heard or seen the term uh, life hacks, um, uh, it's, it gets loose, loosely used, hacks for this and hacks for that. And usually it's a picture of something that was originally designed to do one thing, but is now being used to improve upon another thing. Okay? So uh, uh, there could be hacks for cooking and hacks for um, things around the house and, and hacks for life and... Um, I just want to share some with you so you understand what I'm talking about, okay? Um, the first one, can you pull up that picture? Uh, you may have this in your house, um, in your garage, Life Hacks, I found a website, 1,000 uh, Life Hacks. This is number, uh, actually 1,247. Life Hacks, in your garage, hang a tennis ball from the ceiling over the spot where your car should be and stop when parking. You might have one of these. That little thing was not designed to live in your garage, Right? It was given yellow felt and so you can play tennis with it. But it makes a great garage parking, I don't know what to call it, stopper, yes. Um, otherwise, you have to go, is it going to close? Is it going to close? In our, in our old garage, my wife and I would always, like, complain because, hey, you parked too close. You parked too far. And, and you have to get out of the car. Um, now she has this little camera and she like, and <laughs> so high tech. But for like, you know, less than a dollar, you can hang one of these puppies up in your garage and then never have to worry about it. As soon as your car touches the thing on your windshield, you're good, right? Okay, let's try another one. Uh, It says, take an old CD spindle and turn it into a bagel tote. (laughs) Now, for those of us who uh, grew up with CDs, this is like, oh, you know you have a ton of those around. The young people are like, what's a CD? Like, (laughs) what is that? Well, y'all don't know anything about this, but a long time ago, you used to go to this place called Circuit City. No longer exists, but back in our day, it used to exist. And you would go there, and if you wanted to, you know, uh, move files from place to place, uh, there was no such thing as the cloud. The cloud did not exist. Uh, So you'd have to buy this packet of 25, that's about that size, 25 Blank CDs, and you have to figure out if it was CD plus, CD plus minus, CDR, CDRW, CDRW plus. You know what I'm talking about? All right? And then by the time you were done, you would have all these little cases like this. I have some in my drawer. But didn't you know? Look, you can make a little bagel tote. It's got a little center in it. That's just awesome. Right? Okay, let's try another one. Uh, now, this is more your generation. Uh, oh, you guys that are iPhones, right? So um, this happens to us during rehearsal all the time. Somebody's like, oh, play that song. And then we're all like, we're all kind of listening in like this. If you need a quick way to magnify whatever is on your iPhone, look at that. You just get a um, toilet paper roll that's been used up. And then you just slice it, put the thing in it, and the sound will amplify. It's a life hack. You take a paper uh, a, to- a TP roll, the end of it, which, what do you do with that thing? You toss it, right? What do you do with that? What do you do? You have some of those at home? Of course you do. You just get rid of them. But, you know, for like almost no money, for something that's useless, you can not have to go to Walmart and buy that little 
amplifier thing. Oh, what is it called? Bose? Whatever that thing is. You don't need that anymore. All you need is a used up toilet paper roll and broadcast. It's a life hack. It's fantastic. It's taking something that was designed for one thing and utilizing it, changing the course of its purpose and utilizing it to do something better or maybe amplify a situation or, 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 or relieve a situation. And it's a life hack. Um, now I want to show you one of my favorites. Yeah, you wake up in the morning. This is especially for the ladies in the house. You wake up in the morning, it's a winter morning, and you just have to go. Now, it's not a problem for us, but y'all, obviously, you know, sometimes the toilet seat is just too cold in the mornings. But you can take a couple of old socks, make sure they're washed, and just slip them in there, and you'll have always a warm landing spot every morning that you get up. It's a life hack. Take it as one thing that was designed to do one thing. And uh, maybe it serves that purpose, sure, but, but, but utilizing, redirecting the course of, of what it used to do and uh, utilizing it to improve another situation. Thank you. We don't have to look at that anymore. <laughs> Life hack. I want to take your attention to this idea of taking something that was purposed for one thing and maybe it was useful for a time and a season and redirecting its purpose, a life hack. In fact... An entire life hacked. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 9, the book of Acts. A very familiar story, but we just want to look at this again with fresh eyes for today. Uh, book of Acts, chapter 9, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, and you can follow along with me. The Bible starts out saying these words, meanwhile... <clears throat> Meanwhile, and the reason he uses that is because the book of Acts is a story, I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is a story about the, the, the explosive beginning of God's church, the Christian church, after Jesus had ascended. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, the disciples have gathered together, Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and they're saying, now what? And Jesus says, now i got to go. But when I go, you guys will receive power, and you are going to be a witness. And so Jesus, in chapter 1, verse 8, he just goes up into heaven and disciples look at each other and they say, now what? But in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit arrives and things start to happen. I mean, that's the part we love about the book of Acts because it's about stuff that is happening. They're not talking about things. They're doing things. Chapter 2, the book of Acts says their numbers are multiplied. People are getting healed. The uh, food is abundant. Uh, uh, amazing things are happening. And so the whole book of Acts d details these things. But meanwhile... Or back at the Ponderosa, the Bible says that Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Well, all this good stuff was happening with a, with a, with a, with a brand new Christian church. Well, all this miracles and fantastic and amazing things. That meanwhile, the Bible says that Saul, you recognize the name, Saul was breathing murderous threats. I, I, I got stuck there for a second. Breathing out murderous threats. <clears throat> I was thinking to myself, what's that like? Have you ever breathed out murderous threats? And you're like, I'm not a murderer, but, um, but you've done it, right? You're like, I'm going to kill you, right? You use that phrase, right? No, you didn't. Of course you didn't because you're good people. You're good people. But once in a while, you have this thing like you want to say it, but you can't say it. And you just kind of, I'm going to tell you a story, a little 
just going to be honest with you. So I'm a coach of the junior varsity men's volleyball team at our academy. Now, I, I coach a group of wonderful young men. Uh, earlier this week, um, we had a game. Uh, and the day before our game, because, by the way, if you don't know anything about volleyball, it's a round ball like this. And you use your hands to play. All right? Uh, it can hit you in other parts of the body, but there's specific ways you can. And your, and your objective is to get the ball over the net, kind of like tennis, but without touching the ground. Uh, so during practice, we're like, you know, doing what we, I'm trying to teach, I'm trying to explain. And then uh, one, of the, one of the guys, uh, the ball is coming to him. And instead of reaching with his hands, he kicks it. Now, generally speaking, uh, we don't use our feet for volleyball like that. That's called soccer, you know, or foot, football, right? Um, generally speaking. Now, it's, it's a legal contact. It's just not, it's not what we do in varsity sports is what I'm saying, right? So during practice, I told the guys, I said, listen, let's not do that during practice because it's going to show up. Like, oh, no, coach, we ain't going to do it in the game. It's just practice. I said, all right. So the next day we had a game. The ball is moving, and, it's, and instead of going, he, he went like this, and I breathed out murderous threats. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I was like, oh, I had to turn around because, and then the girls saw me from the other side. They're like, look at him. Because when you're really frustrated and angry and like upset about something, sometimes it, you know, it wants to come out of you. And the Bible says that that's how Saul felt against this brand new church. He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And the Bible tells us here, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, that he went to the high priest. He went to the people that were in charge. And he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, he was not from Damascus. His, his place of residence, his jurisdiction of influence was somewhere else. But he asked for permission to travel to Damascus so that if he found anybody there who belonged to the way, capital W, which is another uh, euphemism for those who followed the way of Jesus, and, and so that if he found them, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So Saul's job and purpose, what, what he felt he had been designed and called to do was to stamp out this little band of new believers in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was doing such a great job in his area that he decided to expand his business. And he asked for license to move his territory from Jerusalem over into Damascus, like a franchise opened. And he asked for letters from the people in charge so that when I can go, my, my, my influence, my ability to take them as captive and bring them back will expand. And the Bible tells us that he secured these letters. In chapter 9, verse 3, the Bible tells us that he went on his journey. So he asked for permission and he received permission to go hunting down people who believed in this carpenter who came and stirred up such a fuss. And he's on his way. And the Bible tells us that as he nears Damascus on his journey, you remember the story, right? I don't think a movie has been made about Has there been a movie about this? I mean, we got Noah. Uh, what else? We got Prince of Egypt. We got all kinds of stuff. Has there been a movie about Saul? Anybody? We should get in on that. We can make millions. <laughs> I'm telling you. 
Like it's hot right now. Hollywood is hot. And the Bible says that suddenly, as he was traveling, uh, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, you've heard the story. You've, you've probably heard the story. He's traveling. He's on his way to do what he thinks he has been specifically designed to and called to do. I want you to hear me. Specifically designed and called to do. In fact, he's been doing it so well that he's expanding. All right? Think about this. So he's on his way. Uh, maybe he's traveling by horse. Uh, at least that's how I pictured it. And um, in a flashlight, there's a flash around him, and he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, calls him my name and says, why are you chasing me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul speaks, and he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, I understand why they use the word persecution there. It's not that he's chasing after Jesus. It's, it's not that he's just chasing. The idea of persecution is like hunting. Or rather yet, hunting down. And, and he's got permission to hunt down men and women. Equal rights. And if he finds any, he's going to take them as prisoners. And this light appears to him. Biblical scholars think that this was around midday. And they suggest, just like it is now, there was plenty of light outside, but a light even greater than that light shone around him. The presence of God and Jesus himself showed up in the middle of the day at 1220. And he fell off his path, his course. And the light, and then the voice in the light said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who is it that I'm talking to? And the voice says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. I love that. See, Saul has asked permission. He did the, he, he, you know, he, he checked off the things. He asked permission to do what he believed he was purposed to do. He was good at it. He believed this is my job. You know some people who are like that in your life who just, <laughs> they'd like to tell you stuff and believe it is their calling in life to tell you what's up. You know anybody like that? You know anybody like that? Don't look at them right now. Just don't look. Do you know anybody like that? Who like they feel like God has put them on the earth to tell you what you're doing wrong, right? Uh, they do it nice too. They're like, hey, that's you're doing a great job. But listen, you know anybody like that who's self-appointed? Well, Saul was a self-appointed squasher of new beliefs, and he was good at it. And the Bible tells us that he secured permission to expand his kingdom of oppression and persecution. And on his way to do what he believed he was supposed to do, what he was designed for and built for, God shows up and tells him, uh-uh. Now you will be told what to do. You will be told. Now there's, there's a phrase nobody likes, right? I mean, we've all done it. 
at some point in your journey, you've stood up to someone, probably a parent or your older brother, usually it's an older brother, and uh, my kids do this all the time. Uh, they don't use the words, so kids, earmuffs, earmuffs, please. If you're here, my kids, earmuffs. They don't use the words, God, I don't want you to learn from me. Uh, you can't tell me what to do, right? Uh, but you, do, you use that. Don't tell me what to do. They use words like, you're not the boss of me. That's my, that's my daughter's favorite. You're not the boss of me. Now, she don't say that to me because I am the boss of her. <laughs> but between each other, uh, they're like, stop telling me what to do. You're not the boss of me. I don't know where they learned that. I don't use those words. I don't really learn it, but they learned it. And they know how to do it. And you did it too. At some point in your life, you stood up to someone and you said, you can't tell me. Don't tell me what to do. Right? Don't you be telling me what to do. I don't got the bobble down, but I'm working on it. And even if you didn't actually breathe it out murderously, you thought it. And there was... You might be there right now. You might be in a job situation where you've got a boss, somebody who tells you what to do, and you just can't stand him or her. And you're like, I can't wait for the time and the opportunity where I don't have to listen to what they say. Because all of us have inside a rebellious spirit. We want to be our own bosses. And Saul was good at that. That was his personality. He was meant to be in charge. He had grown up and risen up through the ranks of the most strict group of people in the day. Do you know, the Bible tells us, that Saul says, I am a Pharisee. And you know, by now, you probably understand the, co- the word of the concept of Pharisee is somebody who's a student of the law and of a specific, uh, uh, it's like somebody from the Ivy League of religion. He had gone to the, to the most important schools, learned the most significant information. He is a Pharisee. But he says it this way. In his own words, he says, I am a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. You know what that means? He's, he's got one up on you. <laughs> oh, you're first generation Pharisee? Not me. I'm second generation Adventist. Oh, wait. Did I just come out? I am third. I'm a fourth generation Adventist. My great, 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 great was friends with Ellen White. So step off because I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? That's how we do it. In fact, when the Christian church began, you know this, they traced their lineage back in generations by who had laid hands on whom. So he says, I am a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. And he says, I am a Hebrew. Not just a Jew, but a Hebrew. I go way back. I'm OG. He says, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, when I read that, I was like, ah, oh, man. That's my father's name. I'm like, oh, man. He says, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. He is saying, I rose up in the ranks because I was destined for this. I was built for this. I was made for this, to stamp out those who would challenge my religion. And he was so good at it that he was expanding his kingdom, and God showed up, and he said, no, from now on, you will be told what to do. You will be told what to do. Can you imagine that? God's showing up here at 1225 on a Saturday and looking at you in the face and saying, you've been running your own life, chasing after your own stuff. 
I know you think you were meant to be a doctor, a businessman, a nurse. I know, but, but from now on, you will be told what to do. Ooh. Shudder at the thought that someone else would be in charge of my life and tell me how to act and tell me how to dress and tell me what to eat and tell me where to go and tell me how to worship. But God says you will be told what to do. The Bible says that the men traveling with him were speechless, for they had heard the sound but could not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he tried to open his eyes, he was blind. He could not see anything. So they had to lead him by the hand. The most, the most frustrating thing for a man of consequence, where's H, a man of consequence, is to have to be led by the hand. Right? The most humiliating thing is to be... To, to, to have to do this for a man who's used to stepping out and saying, get out of my way. And the Bible says that his friends had to lead them by the hand. So they led him by the hand all the way into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and he could not eat or he could not drink. And the Bible says that in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And God called him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard reports about this man. See, Ananias is in a different place. See, Ananias is accustomed. I don't know if you caught that. But Ananias was minding his own business. God showed up with him. The bright light showed up in his life. It's Ananias, and he was like, yeah, Lord, what's up? I mean, can you imagine that? When the light shows up to Saul, he falls over, and he's blind, and he's like, what's going on? But Ananias is like, yeah, what? what? Yeah? What that tells us, not, not that Ananias was flippant, but that he was accustomed to being told what to do. He was a servant of God. You see the difference, the juxtaposition here? Ananias is like, yes, Lord. It's the kind of thing you want to teach your kids, right? Like when you call, that, right? But sometimes when I yell across the house, I'm going to use the word child because I don't want you to know who does it. Child. And they're like, What? It's my own fault because that's what I do, right? Because you know why you do it. You don't go, yes, because to say yes requires for you to actually come over and say yes, right? But you don't want to get up. You're on the couch, you're watching TV, you're eating, whatever. So you're like, what? I need help. What is it? My youngest son would just keep going. Bah, 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 bah. I'm like, what is wrong? I need the potty. Okay, go ahead. I need help. You can do it. <laughs> but I really want to teach him, but I can't unless I model it. This attitude of yes. And Ananias was accustomed to saying, yes, Lord. So when he shows up, Ananias, he's like, yes, Lord. And, and God says, there is a man I want you to meet because he has seen you. He has already seen you, and he knows you're coming, so I want you to go. It's a fantastic moment. God tells Ananias, look, this is what you were designed for. huh? You were designed to give messages and to follow my call. And listen, Ananias believes that he is living according to the way that he has been designed for, the, 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 what he's been purposed. He's doing his job, and he's doing it well. In fact, he's doing it so well that God is trying to expand his kingdom. But look what he does. God says, I want you to go meet this Saul. And Ananias says, um, mm, 
yeah, uh, like, about that, God. So here's, here's what, what, what happened was that, um, yeah, so I heard about him. That guy saw, listen, I've gotten reports, reports about this man and all the harm he has done. And, and the word on the street is that he has come here and that he has authority to arrest everyone who call upon your name. I'm just letting you know, God, maybe you didn't get the reports. Maybe your name wasn't included on the email list. You didn't get the memo, God, but word on the street is that this man has authority. Oh, can you imagine the breathing in the nostrils of God when his servant says, I have met somebody with authority, God, and God is saying, do you realize who you're talking to? Oh, man, I'm getting puffed up right now. This is the God of the universe, and you're going to tell him about authority? Oh, man, I just pulled a muscle. <laughs> but I want you to see the difference here. Saul thinks he's been purposed to snuff out anybody who dare challenge his way. Ananias thinks he's been purposed to follow the will of God and be his messenger. But they are both rejecting God. Saul doesn't even know who he is. I really did pull a muscle. Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. But Ananias knows his name, and yet he does not understand his authority. God, I, I heard reports about this man. And, 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 and he has authority to arrest people. I just want you to know, if I go, that's what he's saying is, you know that if, you know what's going to happen when I go over there, God. I know you know, but I'm just, I just let you know. You know that when I get over there, he's going to arrest me because I'm coming in your name. And this is going to be on you. I just, let's just put that out there. But the Lord said to Ananias, I want you to listen to me here. Okay? The Lord said to Ananias, go. And there's an exclamation point in there. And listen, when God has to use an exclamation point, it's over for you. Like it's done. If God has to put an exclamation point at the end of any phrase, are you in trouble now? <laughs> it says go because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Uh, God says, look, he thought he was designed for this, and you, uh, don't miss this, Ananias thought that he was God's chosen instrument to show his name before the Gentiles. He's living in Damascus, you get me? He is not in Jerusalem with the rest of, he's not in Loma Linda with the rest of the Adventists. He's down in San Diego. He is living, believing that I'm here to spread the, the, that I have been called to be God's chosen instrument. But God comes to Ananias and says, not you. I have chosen him. I'm about to hack his life. And all the things that he thought he was purposed to do for himself he doesn't know, but those things were actually designed for my purpose. His relentless zeal 
is what makes Paul, through God's power, uniquely qualified to go where no Ananias would dare go. Did you catch that? His relentless pursuit of academic excellence that he was using to snuff out heresy, God used to unpack the beauty and the power of the gospel for thousands of years, including your ears. So he takes both of these men, and to the one he makes him understand he thought he was purposed for this, but it was God who's always had the authority over his life. And you know, because you and you're a student of the, of the Word of God, you know who this man became. He became exactly what God had ordained. He became what the prophet Jeremiah talked about in the verse that you have in there. God says, I have chosen you. I have picked you. And all the things that you are now misusing, misusing. All the things that you think you were designed for, I actually gave you for another purpose. And, and, and he chose, listen, he chose Ananias, the prophet and messenger of God, the one who went to church every Saturday, the one who sang worship songs, the one who studied this Bible, the one who actually had heard messages from God. He chose him. Listen carefully. He chose him to empower the one every other Christian rejected. And I want you to see this. Without Ananias, there is no Saul. You following me? Okay. Without him understanding the way grace works, we don't have the gospel. They work in conjunction. So God is trying to be at work here, and he wants to be authority over the life of you. If you grew up in church, you're a fourth-generation Adventist, God wants you to know he's still in charge. Your lineage, your heritage is not what saves you. Your heritage is not what defines you. It is the God who calls you, who gives you meaning and purpose. It is the God who made you who can take over at any time. It is the God who has a plan for you who will release you to do that. And for some of you, listen, for some of you, it's time. It's time to start loving and blessing those whom everyone else has rejected. And then there are others. Like Paul, what's fascinating about Saul is that at the time he was so convinced that he was a defender of the truth. He was so convinced that he was a defender of the present truth. He was so convinced that he was in the right, that he was willing to breathe out murderous threats. Think about that for a minute. There are some of us, Saul is saying, you're fourth generation Adventist, man. He's saying, I'm like 20th generation Christian. What's up? He's like, I'm a tribe of Benjamin. Listen, that's what he's saying. You know how far back that goes? I'm a son. I'm a Pharisee son of a Pharisee whose father was a Pharisee before him. You cannot outrank me. 
And some of us are in this camp who we are using our own religion and our sense of self-righteousness to try to snuff out any new idea that God might have been trying to plant upon the earth. And we're using all of our influence and, our exercise and expanding our kingdom of judgment, expanding our kingdom of criticism, expanding our kingdom of oppression. And God is going to show up in your life and say, excuse me, but I am in charge. But the fantastic thing about both of these men, which represent us, is that God can stop at any moment and say, you're about to be life hacked. All the things that you thought were designed for your benefit. So you're good at making money, yeah? You're a good businessman. God says, that's, that's, that's awesome. But now you're going to make wealth for my kingdom. So you're good at problem solving, right? You're an engineer. You're good at breaking things down. That's right. I gave you that. That brain, the way that mechanically it works, I gave you that. I meant for that to bless my kingdom. You're, you're in touch with people's feelings, right? You're someone who understands and, and has, maybe you're a counselor and God says, I gave you that. You're a student of the word and, and you know how to preach and you know how to do this. But God says, but I'm still in charge. I am still God. The book itself cannot save you apart from me because it has no life. Those words, those beliefs, those 27, 28, or whatever they end up to be someday have no life outside of the breath of God. So you cannot get stuck in there, Ananias. You have to understand that authority comes from me and that I am the authority. God says, God says I'm about to take over. And I just want you to imagine for just a second that he came upon your life right now, find you on the way, on the road, wherever you think you're headed. Maybe you think you're headed to retirement. Maybe you think you're headed to, you know, a new practice. Maybe you think you're headed to, like, a, a new station in life. Maybe you think you're headed into parenthood. I mean, you're headed into, like, you know, wealth and success. Wherever you think you're headed and God shows up on the road of your life and he says, excuse me, but I'm about to commandeer this vehicle. Excuse me, but I'm about to hack into the mainframe of your life and I'm about to download some software that's going to change the course. Everything that you have, all your hardware components, I don't know why I'm talking like this, any hardware components that you have, all the things that you think you're pre-wired for that you think are good for this, I'm about to go in there, I'm going to hack that, and I'm going to use it for my kingdom. Imagine for that, for just a second, that this day, today, God shows up and he says, from now on, I'm going to tell you what to do. Instead of you trying to tell me what you want me to do. Oh, dear God, I'm about to do this one thing, so please bless me. Oh, dear God, I've made this plan, so I just want you to show up and multiply what I have already planned and prepared. And God says, you're trying to tell me how to do my job, but I am God. You're just my servant. You're just my prophet. You're just my pastor. You're my teacher. You're my student. You're my servant. I made you. And what I have made you for, I am now coming to collect on. Friends, I am afraid. And you should be too. I am afraid to admit all the places where I have not allowed God to be in charge. I am afraid despite all... I'm a... I'm like a fourth generation Adventist. I just have you know. And yet, my challenge is to refuse God's authority. 
to think that I'm a man of consequence. But I'm not. It is God who's in charge. But I do know this. Because he's in charge, he made me and made you a certain way. And he purposed me and he purposed you a certain way. And I just really believe that this day, today, here in our community, God is calling. He's coming to hack your life and to finally repurpose you for what you were truly made for, not what you thought you were made for. And everything that's unique about you, even the things that you hate about yourself and that you think are deficiencies in your life and in your character, God says, I, I know those things. But I had a plan all along. And you just got to find yourself under my authority for you to finally see what those things are made for. There's hope for all of us. You know that? If there's hope for Ananias, <laughs> there's hope for us. If there's hope for Saul, there's hope for us. So let him come, man. Yeah? Let him show up. Let God come and finally take over my life and put me to work the way he designed me to work. Let me stop trying to take the reins of that. Trying to make it happen. Let God come and rule once and for all.